1: It is a Wednesday, May the 5th. Welcome to Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL-adjacent podcast. My name is Will Anderson.
0: And my name is Charlie Clawson. And Will, I feel like the Gold Coast must be listening to this show. Because I said a couple of weeks ago, maybe even last week, who knows? I said all they need to do is win four games and then hang on till Matt Rowell gets back. Then as we know, once Rowell's back in the team, they won't lose again. They'll get those 12 wins and they'll make the finals. So... They're on track. They just need to win one more game and then just wait for rally. Boom, finals. That's the plan.
1: I love this. Like, I think this is the point in the season where nothing but bold predictions. <laughs> That's what I would like to see from now on. And the idea that Gold Coast are almost a certainty for the finals is one of those bold predictions that I would love to lock in at this stage. I'm going to suggest uh, Tom Hickey for the Brownlow.
0: Yeah, good one.
1: Tom Hickey for the Brownlow. I mean, he's overcome a six-week PCL in six days. He's back. The Swans are back. Probably the most important player at the Swans. I'm going to say sign him on the next buddy contract. I want <laughs> to see the Swans offer Tom Hickey a seven, eight-year deal, million dollars a year. Do you know how they always say,
0: like, you've got to be patient with big men. It takes them a while to come on, you know. You can't put too much pressure on your tall forwards or your ruckmen. So Tom Hickey, I'm I'm going to guess he's around 27, 28 years of age. He's third. Is it his third or his fourth AFL club? He started at Gold Coast, went to St. Kilda, went to West Coast. Fourth club. Like the very definition of a journeyman is entering career best form. So they say with big men, talent takes a while to reach its full potential. Is it like if you inject a tall person with poison, it takes longer for the poison to work their way around their body. Does talent take longer to spread around a big person?
1: Oh, so you're saying that he might have had the same amount of talent as the smaller Yes, But because the talent has to stretch over, (laughs) I mean, this is actually a pretty good revelation that you might have come up with. (laughs) Because big people are traditionally a little bit more unco. Yeah. And sometimes we say, oh, they're not as talented. Maybe they've got The exact same amount of talent, but that talent has to be diffused through a larger... I mean, it's essentially like you're saying, if you have like a small cup of cordial or a big cup of cordial, the big cup of cordial is going to taste weaker, Yeah, but it's the same (laughs) amount of cordial you've put in there. There's just more water and the body is 70% water. So the cordial of talent is being more diffused through the taller people. Yeah, that's science, bitches. That's science for you. It's funny. Wow, you're the new Dr. Peter Larkin. Well, <laughs> let's go to Dr. Charlie Clawson on the boundary. <laughs> I've been thinking
0: a lot about Ruckman because, uh, you know, the Saints got Paddy Ryder back. Suddenly we look like a new team. You know, Tim English is missing from the Bulldogs. You lose to Richmond. And there is probably no position that is more derided than the Ruckman. Like every commentator loves to make a Ruckman joke. They're slow. They're unskilled. You don't let them kick. They've always got a handball. But at the same token, the top end of that position uh indispensable, like you need a great Ruckman. So it's a real, you're in a hiding to nothing if you enter a team as a Ruckman because you are going to be perceived as a joke, as a lug, as someone who has no skills until you reach that top 1% of the competition and then you are the most valuable player
1: going around. It is, well, I mean, that game, that Sydney Geelong game is the ultimate example, right? Because you've got Hickey who's in career best form and the Swans are great when he's there. And then you've got poor old Rhys Stanley. Oh, man. They wouldn't even let him back on the field. That's how they were like, no, I know we're players down. I know we're
0: rotations down, but you just fucking sit there. The difference between those two, because they were both at the Saints at the same time at one period. And I, the difference was that we never really had huge expectations for Tom Hickey. I think he's always only ever going to be a backup ruckman. He was going to be a backup ruckman for Billy Longer. That's how bad we got it. That's how wrong we got our, our, ruck, our ruck stocks. The knock on Reese Stanley was always, as Nick Revolt has pointed out in his autobiography, he has the potential, the physical attributes to be anything, yet he doesn't seem to reach his full potential.
1: Yeah, but like on, on your theory, which I am warming to very quickly, <laughs> there is a, the a stretchy. Because, I mean, who is regarded as possibly, well, one of the most skillful disposers and users of the ball in the AFL at the moment? Plays for the Bulldogs. Uh, Tim, uh, Tim English, no, no, no. Sorry, I'm I mean, not as a big person. Oh, right. I'm going the opposite end. Oh, Caleb Daniel. Caleb Daniel. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Everyone talks about the idea that Caleb Daniel's skill set is incredibly, you know, high, mm. good by hand, great yep. by foot. Caleb Daniel. Yeah. But he has a nat unnatural advantage. He's tiny. Yeah. Like he has the same amount of talent as a Reese Stanley. Yeah. But it only has to it's go compressed. around a really
0: small body. Yeah. Exactly. He's, he's like a diamond. I mean, he's got everything because he's also got the mm. good looks as well. Because. No. Name the best-looking Ruckman in the AFL. Like, who is – it would have been Sean Hampson when he was still playing because that's Megan Gale's yeah. husband, right? He's a, you know, He looks like a model. Right. But who's the best-looking Ruckman going around? Let's just – hang on. Let's bring up the list. Okay. We'll find out who uh, – Nick
1: Natanui? Is Nick Natanui good-looking? He's striking-looking, but he's I don't know if he's
0: striking and he's cool. I mean, that counts for a lot. Yeah, Charisma. Charisma. I mean, he's the most probably the most charismatic of all the Ruckmen. All right,
1: I'm just gonna. Yeah, but like a lot of the other Ruckmen look like you've stretched out a normal person, right? Yeah, that's the truth. Their their features never look completely right because they do feel like you've you've dissipated them a little. Yeah, I mean, do do you count like Ruckman
0: uh, forward to pinch hit in the Ruck? Does that count, or we're just going exclusive Ruckman because Tom Hawkins? He's a very handsome man and can no, play. Doesn't ruck. count, All right? Because he's a f- no, predominantly
1: he's a, a forward. he's a key forward. He's a key forward who
0: can run. Okay. Now we've got to talk about starting Ruckman. Okay, Riley O'Brien at uh, Adelaide. No, moving next. No. <laughs> uh, who's
1: the Brisbane Lions ruckman? Uh, well, it was Stephen Martin. He's yeah, at the it? Bulldogs now. And then it's um, uh, what's his face? Who hasn't been playing? Um what's his face? Oh, he's. Is he? I don't but know. He's,
0: he's not good looking. Okay, all right, Let's move on. <laughs> let's not spend too much time on this. Okay, uh, who's the who's the blues ruckman? Uh oh, that's that guy. He's not good looking. Move on. Uh, okay, Brody Grundy at Collingwood. Good looking dude, inarguably.
1: Is he? Well, is he a good looking dude. Maybe it's more than is that. He new a dude thing. he's cool. He's good at like, yeah. Again, he's got kind of long hair, got a bit of a beard. I feel like he's doing a lot to cover up the fact that he might not be that good looking.
0: Okay, the Bombers would be Sam Draper. It's too early in his career. hasn't established a look yet. He's still got that th- first three-year player kind of, you know, indefinable qualities. And then Kale Hooker's sort of a ruckman, but he pinches. So moving on. Um, oh, that Darcy at Fremantle. No, nah, no, nah, he looks, he looks nah. like an overgrown 10-year-old. Okay, then at the Cats, you've got uh, Reece Stanley, obviously, and Radigalia, would you classify him? No, he's more of a Ford, isn't he, pinch hits.
1: Yeah, more of a Ford right. ruck. Well, and let's like just stick with Reece. Will, Okay, so here's what I would say about the Cats and their ruck stocks. Reece Stanley and Mark Blitzars, both good-looking cats, I would say, but neither of them are your traditional sort of starting ruckman.
0: Yeah, okay. Uh, the Suns is Jared Witts, not good looking. The Giants, Shane Mumford. I mean, <laughs> l- let's not dwell on this too long. Don't need to. Uh, the Hawks, Ben McAvoy, not good looking. Maxi Gorn, not good looking. I'm sorry, fantastic player. Great bloke, not good looking. Very charismatic, not good looking. Todd Goldstein. Not really good looking, no. Um, oh, who's the dude who went from West Coast to Port Adelaide? Uh, you know the one, the Ruckman. Fuck, he played in the grand final. can't remember his name. Uh, not good Vardy? Looking. No, not Vardy. It's, uh, what's his name? A, it doesn't matter. Lysett. Scott Lysett. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, not good looking. Um, at the Tigers, it's a old, uh, you know, from the Swans. Nankervis. Nankervis. Not good looking. No. Paddy Ryder. Rowan Marshall, actually. I would put Rowan Marshall in that he's got that Reese Stanley kind of clean cut. He's not, he's not like catwalk model. But he's, he's, a, he's the guy you take home to meet your mum. He's got a nice smile, clean cut, seems upstanding. Yeah, I agree. And then you've got Tom Hickey at the Swans. He's goofy, let's be honest. <laughs> uh, then at the Eagles, Nick Nat and the Bulldogs, Tim English or Aaron Norton. Oh, no, Stephen Martin. Well, Stephen Martin's pretty good looking.
1: Stephen Martin's not bad like, looking. And I think Tim English, again, like if he was normal size... I think he'd be good looking. I think that he has that sort of, he's a bit too tall, he's a bit too goofy looking, and that's part of his problem. Found out what his nickname is. His nickname is Chile, apparently. Really? Why would Tim English's nickname be Chile, do you think? Um, as in
0: Chile as in the food or the country? It's not Chile. <laughs> Tim Chile English. It's,
1: it's not Chile, but I like uh, that. I'm no, gonna, Chile right, as I've, in I've got to reverse engineer this.
0: Okay. Yes. Oh, as in as in cold. I thought it meant chili as in hot because I was going to go English mustard, no. mustard, and then get to chili somehow, but chili. Um, well, England, English weather. Uh, oh, oh you, you're saying you, all right, English, English weather, um, uh, a cold, uh, Mr. Freeze, uh, ice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm padding with my nickname steps. So I really could have got there from cold weather.
1: Apparently, he's uh, very embarrassed about speaking publicly. So, when he's called on in meetings, he immediately turns bright red. So, they call him chili. Hang on. You said chili as in cold, not chili as in the the pepper. Well, chi- I mean, it could be chili as in the pepper, I suppose. But I thought it was more like, oh, uh, interesting. Maybe it is the pepper. Or maybe, maybe it's like, red, or like a red
0: chili pepper. Maybe he gets so embarrassed and awkward, it's like he's got no chill. And so, then you mm. could extrapolate to chili from that. Like, he's... They'd, all, they'd always be like, Tim, just chill, chill. You've got to speak. Chill, mm-hmm. chill. And then that would become chilly. And then, yeah, that's how, that's how you get Every it. Every
1: time yeah. he speaks, he strips naked and puts a sock on his penis. <laughs> and for some reason, they've called him chilly. Another good nickname while we're at it. Uh, did you catch, this was a couple of weeks ago, but I wasn't here last week, what Aaliyah, Aaliyah's nickname is? Uh, I, I know the
0: answer. I believe it is Chandelier or Shanda. Yeah. Chanda,
1: yeah, that's yeah. a good nickname.
0: Solid AFL nickname. Not enough steps in between though. It's a little too simple, but I like it. It's obscure. Oh, that actually reminds me. Uh, last week, uh, in our question, someone asked why is uh, uh, an SNM play called Pleur, and we didn't know the answer. It's a dance music acronym, meaning like peace, love, energy, or, or something like that. So. Maybe he goes to dance parties, maybe he's considered a bit of a hippie, but it's a yeah, it's a dance party acronym. Oh, there you go. All right. <laughs> well, um, is it too early in the pod for for Fife Life? We've got a we've uh, no, Matt Rowell, yeah. our Rowling coverage, where's Matt at has been disappointingly uh, few and far between. A lot of people sending us um clips from uh, Dylan Friends, the Dylan Friends podcast. And I'm like, I don't want to go to another football comedy podcast <laughs> to get our rowling coverage. Like we need to get some original rallying coverage. Um, but we do have some Fife life. So this photo is going around today. This is Nat Fife on his way to the airport. I've just dropped it into the message window. Nat Fife packing his essential items for his trip to the Gold Coast. Just describe what he's got in his hand there. <laughs>
1: so now, okay. I, I'm finding it very hard to understand what it is. He has, well, he has a work of art. This is what I'm <laughs> going to say. Firstly, Both of them, he's there with another player and they're both wearing their masks completely incorrectly. They've both got them, well, one's got it under his chin, (laughs) literally not covering his face at all. And then Nat Fife has got his, um, not covering his nose at all, barely covering his top lip, basically just kind of under his mouth. So neither of them know how to wear a mask would be the first bit of commentary I would give. But in Nat Fife's right hand, he has a painting and that painting is of somebody standing in like, you know, it sounds like in, you know, in front of a mountain, like, you know, in some sort of plantation. And I can't quite tell whether it's meant to be a, photo, a, a painting of Nat Fife or not. Is he carrying a, photo, a painting of himself or is it of another player? I believe it's a painting of himself. And looking at
0: that photo, that looks familiar. I think it's a, from his Instagram. I remember when we were looking through his Instagram a couple of years ago, there was a photo of him in like Bali or something. So it seems to be a painting someone has done from his Instagram. I'm going to say it's art. He's on his way to the airport. Maybe a fan has run up and said, hey, Nat. But if that is not the case, Nat Fife, in terms of packing his luggage, is like, I can't forget to pack my self-portrait.
1: I like the idea that he actually carries that as ID. <laughs> like while he's got his mask on, if he's asked for ID at any stage, he just brings out that
0: painting. I mean, if it was any other player in any other team, there's no way they could get onto that plane with that bit of hand luggage and not cop it for the rest of the year from their teammates. It just so happens he's the best player and the captain of that side. So no one's going to say shit,
1: right? I mean, even in that moment, surely you've got to make – the other dude carried the picture. No. Like surely if.
0: That's even if worse. Been, it's like he's your herald. He's got to walk for 10 feet in front of you, holding the portrait up above his head so people know that you're about to arrive.
1: I think that Nat Fife would be more interested. I think maybe this is what it is. We've said traditionally that Nat Fife doesn't necessarily know who his teammates are, you know, doesn't have a lot of interest in who the other members of the team are. And that has led over the years to maybe him not being able to, you know, receive feedback properly. There's only one person that Nat5 really respects, right? Nat5. 5. Nat5. 5. And so maybe this is what they do in meetings now that, like, if somebody needs to deliver something to Nat5, they need to tell him. They all hold the Nat5 painting over their face. <laughs> and so Nat5 can receive that feedback when it's coming from Nat5. Well,
0: maybe it's a progression. Maybe initially he requested that everyone put a mirror over their faces when he's talking to them so at least he's talking to someone he respects but now they've downgraded to uh, watercolour paintings and then hopefully they'll get to face to face.
1: I would like to think that that painting is going to go in Nat Fife's attic and over the years the painting will become more and more obese as he becomes more and more beautiful. Speaking of Nat Fife, um,
0: I was shocked, Will shocked to find out that his partner in crime Ben Cunnington has an Instagram account. Were you aware of this? No. Ben Cunnington has an Instagram account and it's not like, I thought it was going to be, you know, there's four posts for over the last five years and they're all a fish. No, he is active on social media. In fact, the last video I saw him post, and this has shaken my entire world, was a video he took at his home doing a gender reveal. He's got his two kids there and they've got a balloon and one of the kids are beating the, you know, like a pinata or beating the balloon with like sticks and then it pops and like the, mm. the colored, uh, uh, uh the colored, uh, confetti comes out and, and Ben's there and his wife's there. And I'm like, this is not fitting with the narrative that you and I created. I don't know that I like this version of Ben Cunnington.
1: Well, firstly, I would have thought for Ben Cunnington, they would have had the pinata and then his kid would have been punching the pinata in the, in the guts, guts behind the play. <laughs> <laughs> Until it was revealed. That's what I would have liked to see. Um, no, this is not the Ben Cunnington that that we've completely made up and imagined. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it weird that like the real person is nothing like the person that we've just speculated that he might be. But I could have sworn that like our speculation came
0: from evidence that it's like he doesn't have a mobile phone. It's like you can't use Instagram if you don't have a mobile
1: phone. Well, he had an old school mobile phone, didn't he? Like, didn't he have like a Nokia or something? Maybe he has an official Instagram person. Oh, you mean like a social media
0: manager? Yeah. Well, I guess there's not a a lot to market down at Arden Street at the moment. So maybe that's how they presented it to him. But still, like the gender reveal party, I mean, in a million years, would you think that – I was the kind of guy who thought that, you know, his wife would give birth in a paddock and he'd just be like, you know, hammering in fence posts and occasionally glancing over
1: to make sure – you know, the kid was all right. But Agenda Reveal Party. Okay, I've gone to his um, Instagram, which I'm going to follow for a start. And uh, he has uh, nearly 15,000 followers, which means that he has about as many followers as there are North Melbourne members. <laughs> so nice, that works out pretty well. Yeah, kick them while they're um, down. Good one. We're going to have a little flick through this. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. So this is, I oh, know. So it's a balloon. Yeah. So uh, he's got, the, well, you know what I like about this the most? is that Ben Cunnington in this has got out a balloon and then he's handed his, I'm going to say, four or five-year-old kid a giant needle yeah. and just gone,
0: go give that it. a go.
1: So I I do like the idea. And then he's like, daughter, who's clearly like two or something, also has quite a sharp needle in her hand. So I'm, I'm liking, I wouldn't say he's necessarily a helicopter parent, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, treat him mean, keep him keen. Uh, and then he's just picked up his kid quite recklessly while his kid was also swinging that, in that needle. needle, right. needle so. and,
0: and not to be like you know too personal, but just li- when you watch that video, look at his his hair. Do hmm. you think he maybe needs a bit of a refund from advanced hair, or at least like a follow up session? Because that's not looking that's not looking like a that's not looking like a, a well maintained
1: green. Oh, you know what I like about him is he's, he's got advanced hair, but he didn't want to show off about it. <laughs> He's just like oh, look, I, I don't want my hair back, just thinning. No. Oh mate, I still want to look bald. Because <laughs> like if you saw if you didn't know he'd been to advanced <laughs> hair and you said, Is he going bald? You go, Going bald, he's pretty much bald already. But basically he's just wound the clock back a year or two. Did
0: you watch any of the North Melbourne game? North, Melbourne game? Oh,
1: uh, I so I saw the score at halftime mm. and I thought Here we go, Melbourne. That was my question. Here we go, Melbourne. Was there... And what I did...
0: You just settled in. You made yourself like put a pizza on, made yourself a nice big drink, sat down.
1: I'm not proud to admit this, but I went on KO and I started the game from the start of the game and like decided i was going to watch all the bit that after half time and then hopefully that was going to coincide with north melbourne carrying that on and i could experience in real time melbourne going down it turned out that melbourne got their act together and won quite comfortably in the end and but yes i did watch that game
0: yeah and that that, that was, well that was my question was was there a part of you that was like oh this feels like it could be very Melbourne-y? like and in, in years gone past that would be the case you know they've got a clear shot at getting on top of the ladder the bulldogs Stumbled so they can just... And it's like, here they go. Was it 20 points down at one stage or even like 30 points down? But yeah, this is not the same Melbourne team. But the Bulldogs, tell me your feelings on that because I did watch that entire game in the first half. I was like, hey, this is the best game I've seen with the worst goal kicking I've ever seen. <laughs> like, neither team could seem to like kick a goal. But it felt like the dogs were all over them. And then at halftime, I kind of switched off because I'm like, it looks like the dogs are going to run away with this as predicted. And then picked it up about five minutes ago in the third quarter. I was like, what the fuck happened? So, what happened?
1: Richmond happened. happened. <laughs> yeah. Richmond happened. What do you think fucking happened? The same thing that always happens in those situations. Richmond fucking happened. Do you want to know what happened? Watch last year's grand final. That's what fucking happened. They let you think that you're going to win it for half of it. And then they're just like, oh, no, we're actually really good. And we're just going to win this. Tom Lynch happened. Mm. Tom Lynch just like dominated. Like he he was so good. They were so good. The Bulldogs were terrible, I thought, in the third quarter. Like the pressure from Richmond just that across the ground pressure they managed to take away everything that we were doing well and then suddenly the Bulldogs didn't look like a skillful midfield team they looked like a team that didn't have any space that didn't have time to make decisions like and I think it was a combination of Richmond playing so well and the Bulldogs not having really faced that sort of pressure and I mean Richmond belted us in that quarter yeah I mean they call it the Premiership quarter for a reason and yeah but it's- I mean just You can't write off. Now, for the rest of the season, it really is just one of those things where I'm like, well, you've still got to beat Richmond. Is Melbourne as good as they look? They're still going to have to beat Richmond to win it.
0: Yeah. And it's also that thing, too, of uh, the great vulnerability of the Dogs is their tall players. Like, their midfield is so good, you think that accounts for, like, 90% of their deficiencies. But then you get a super tall, well, two, you know, Revolt and Lynch together – because in the first quarter, I was like, oh, this is actually working so well in the dog's favor because he was getting the ball heaps, but he kept fucking missing it, you know, missing just like sitters. And I was like, oh, this is great. It's just the pressure's going to build. He's going to have one of those days where he kicks like two goals, seven, but then it just clicked. And it, you should have seen the, oh, I should have seen the warning signs. The fact that he was getting the ball that much, all he needs to do is actually like nail 50% of those shots and you're still going to, you know, have a, a four goal game.
1: Yeah, there was a few predictable things in that game. One was that Richmond be Richmond. And the other one, unfortunately, was that Josh Bruce be Josh Bruce. Yeah. That was a real Josh Bruce performance in the worst of what we imagined about <laughs> Josh Bruce. Like, he was giving away bad free kicks, but like, doing terrible shit. Like, it was, it was no good. And it suddenly did expose, there's a lot about the Bulldogs that looks good when we're going well but there's when we're not going well there's definitely a few i mean i think any teams like that and i think what we've seen this season is that very good teams can get split open if you're just not a hundred percent on but yeah yeah i mean i i I am embracing
0: i used you know we used to use it as as a term of derision or people do use it as a term of derision the downhill skiers the flat track bullies but i am fully accepting the fact that st kilda may be have a year of just being flat track bullies we won't beat anyone above us, but give us a a weaker team and then boy, we'll beat up on them real good. So I'm like, all right, I'm I'm okay with that. If this is the year
1: we have to have where we're just flat track bullies and then I'm okay with that. This is a big year of flat track bullies, I do think. West Coast are clearly flat track bullies or home track bullies. Port Adelaide, Mm. still believe in Port Adelaide, but I also believe in Brisbane. But I think they're a bit of a, you know, so much better in South Australia than they are anywhere else at the moment. I feel like There is a lot of those sort of teams, which is going to make it interesting to see what the final eight ends up being. Yeah, I mean it's weird, isn't it? Because there are those five
0: teams all jostling for the last position or maybe the last two positions in the eight, but it's really just going to come down to who can keep their shit together the longest. Because the well, I'm not sure if if
1: you realize this, but the season is a marathon, not a sprint. (laughs) Well, I mean the thing that's really working against you know West Coast at the moment is COVID. Yeah. Like that could be the thing that really derails their season because I think if they play enough games in Western Australia, they'll play enough games to make the finals and then if they happen to get a home final in Western Australia, they can still do some damage in the finals. But if they play away from Western Australia enough, they might not win enough games to make the finals.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's so disappointing to see how Frio performed in that derby. I mean, Frio or my Port Adelaide, my version of your Port Adelaide, it's like I believe in Frio and again, it was like the Bulldogs-Tigers um, game, whereas in the first half, you're like, oh, Frio all over this and then just the class always shines through and that's what sucks about being you know a kind of like a, a bottom team or a small team is that it's almost like the arrogance of that big established 100,000 member club counts for something on the field like you just get the sense that they're they're irrepressible because they're too big to
1: fail. Okay so Tim Kelly was magnificent talking about midfielders in that game I mean you're up against five and Mundy but like Tim Kelly was just like supreme, like just played one of those games where you're like, oh, that's right. I remember you nearly won the Brownlow. This is mm. why you nearly won the Brownlow. Um, uh, Mundy, uh, we've been talking about David Mundy a bit and got a little bit of feedback that we brought up David Mundy the other day and how good he was. And then we just quickly moved on to other people, which is the uh, quintessential David Mundy in a nutshell. Yeah. It's very hard to just talk about David Mundy. So I'm going to try to keep this just the David Mundy. Great player. I'm going to suggest something controversial. I think it's time for him to get a new look. I don't think his look suits him anymore. I feel like Mate. that haircut does not suit his head anymore.
0: Uh, that's that is crazy talk. He has the essential Western Australian haircut. You've got to have at least one player in your WA team that looks like that. He look got to look like he's got to look like he shops at Just Jeans and he has a shark's tooth necklace. If he cuts that hair. It's gone. You're just going to ruin yeah, the magic.
1: I, I'm saying it's, it's for the younger players to step up into that role now. Okay, he's right. been carrying that Western Australian haircut for so long that I don't think it actually suits him anymore. And he's only holding on to it because you have to have somebody in the Fremantle team with a Western Australian haircut. Where are the young Emerging Fremantle players who are willing to take—they're uh, all getting that Western Australian they
0: they're, everyone's a hipster now. Like it's all—it's all mullets and stuff. And then I think that you're—you're you're going to need to get someone to go back to basics. Like you need someone who isn't like influenced by you know the Perth uh, trendies, <laughs> as I call them, the Perth trendies. Someone from the country who isn't like a, a bogan, but just has that tradition. No, you know what? Get him from like um, a, a surfing town, like Margaret River. Go, I reckon, send extra recruit- recruiters out to Margaret River. You'll find a young fella with that timeless Western Australian haircut. You get him into the team and the,
1: then allow Mundy to cut his hair. That's what I like to think. You know, like as an actor, often you'll go into a room auditioning for a role and you'll be sitting in a waiting room with six or seven other people who look like different versions of you. Mm. That's what I want to see in Fremantle's (laughs) recruiting program. On draft night, I just want to see six or seven people who all have a different version of the one look.
0: Now, uh, you brought up the concept of football karma in relation to Collingwood a couple of weeks ago, which still seems to be uh, playing out as expected. Uh, How about the Cats, though? I mean, that game against Brisbane where that non-holding the ball decision against Mark after I was so angry like I I've never been so angry about a game that I had no stake in before but then to see what happened to them I'm like oh well you know (laughs) maybe
1: it all evens out in the end it did have an element of that and even Chris Scott you could tell in his press conference he was very much like firstly I need to put on the record it was a wrong decision. <laughs> it definitely went more than fifteen meters. However, I do understand that we've had the rub of the green the other way this season, and it's hard for me to complain in this particular scenario. The weird thing about it, though, was how quickly the umpire called not fifteen.
0: Like, because it was one of those weird, loopy kind of up and under kicks, yeah. and he called it not fifteen as it was going up, but it hadn't like started moving in its trajectory. And that's why at I'd all. like to
1: defend the umpire. The umpire was co- completely correct in his call when he made it. Maybe do you it, think- it had not travelled 15 at the time. It, it went on to travel 23, but at the time the call was made, it yeah. definitely had not travelled 15 metres.
0: Or maybe, you know, those umpires, they wear those little headsets. Maybe he was listening to two guys, one cup, and he gets so excited by the way we close the show. He
1: likes to call out, play on not 15 at the end of an episode he's listening to. <laughs> I mean, maybe that is it. Like, it was nearly the end of the game. Maybe he, was, he started wrapping up his game as a little tribute to us by saying, play on, not 15, and then one of the umpires says ball. Now, you spoke before
0: about uh, Tim English uh, being called chilly.
1: There's another
0: person at the Bulldogs, well, who I think needs to learn to chill, and that's fucking Bevo. A little Bevo getting testy at the press conference because a journalist had the temerity to ask about their number one
1: draft pick. When was the last time the Bulldogs had a number one draft pick? Uh, well, we've had a few, but not uh, not many that have come like as as in we've had the first pick of the draft. Yeah, because of course Josh Shackey, I think, might have been a number one, or was he a yeah, number two? Yeah, but at at, um, at the uh, a pick that went straight Boyd to you guys. was a number one. Uh, Adam Cooney, right? Adam Cooney probably was the last number one draft, so draft is, pick. we So is Bevo not aware that when you have like
0: a number one draft pick, it is a weekly question asking when they're going to get in? That is how. They sell newspapers. He was so like annoyed that he keeps getting asked this question. And then to let, like, lead that journalist through the process of, well, he wasn't an emergency, now he's been named an emergency. Does that tell you that he's progressing? Yes, we understand that. But what the fans want to hear is you saying something cool and exciting about the number one draft pick you have, because that's how you sell
1: tickets. I'm not sure that that's where the Bulldogs are at. I feel like this is a debate that there are no Bulldogs fans who are sitting around going, let's get Jamara in. I think in general, the Bulldogs fans are very happy with where we're at. I mean, the fact that we've... Because he's he's thin. He's clearly skilled enough to play at the level, but his body for like a bigger player is nowhere near AFL level. And I think the Bulldogs... If we were... 15th, 16th, 17th. Of course, you'd be like, get him in. We want to see him play. This is our only hope for the season. But in some ways, for Bulldogs fans, it's been exciting for us that you can have him kicking five goals in the VFL and him not being ready to be in the team yet.
0: Yeah, but I don't think the issue is around uh, whether or not he's ready. It's just that they want to hear about that number one draft pick. When Max King was in his first year, I know he wasn't number one, but he could have gone number one if he hadn't done his knee. Every press conference, Alan Richardson and then Brett Ratten would have to sort of give an update on where Max King is because people want to know. doesn't mean you have to play them or you have to tell, give an exact timeline. Just say, yeah, he's progressing really well. He's showing some good signs in the twos. That's all you need to say, Bever. You don't need to bloody bite a guy's That's head he off. That's said.
1: what he said. He said, did you see the emergency list? We named it as an emergency. What does that indicate to you? Do some fucking maths, mate. Yes, he's closer to play. We wouldn't have named him as an emergency if he wasn't closer to play. Did you not watch my press conference the other day? No, I didn't. Well you should have, because I cleared it up then and I'm not <laughs> speaking about it again.
0: I reckon the journalists should get together and agree every press conference Bevo does for the rest of the year, they ask the same question about how close he is to playing.
1: Here's what I even do once he love. is playing. I love how quickly the journos go to water in those situations. That's what I always find. It's like the journalist never expected there'd be a follow-up question because everything that you're saying is totally reasonable. If in that scenario, and look, the journalist did try to do this, but in that scenario where he goes, well, did you see the team sheet? We've named him as an emergency. Clearly that means he's closer. You could easily say, yes, but we've just played a game where you lost the game of football. The person you brought in as a replacement didn't play well. Jamara is the other person who's probably been considered for that position. After today's game, is he closer to playing than he was when you named him as an emergency? Is he closer to playing than the other day when you did your press conference? That would have been a totally appropriate follow-up question and Bevo would have just had to answer that. But the journalists are like, no, I didn't see it. I don't know. Why are you so mad at me? I just want to know if he's closer or not. Say something nice about Jamara. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, well, it's that time of the show uh, where we dig into a pocket profile with the pocket profile pocket, and I thought we'd do something a little different um, for this one. We'd go okay. for he- will do uh, we'll do an unofficial heritage round where we're going to do an archived player profile that was sent to us by a listener um, about St Kilda legend Trevor Barker. Now, for any of uh, our younger oh. listeners out there, how would you describe Trevor Barker? He was he was kind of the original St Kilda. Blonde. Like he's one of those guys who combined like all the glitz and glam of like the late 70s and the early 80s into a club that took its footballing uh, less serious than its social club activities.
1: Dominated on the field and off the field.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the original buddies 100.
0: <laughs> yeah. um, okay. So this, I don't know what, this is from 1986. Trevor Barker, pocket profile. Um, okay. We'll start with an easy one. Name Trevor Barker. Follow up with another easy one. Club. St Kilda. This might be a bit more challenging for you. What was his favourite position
1: (laughs) on the field? Oh, damn. (laughs) If his answer to this question was 69, dude, I would just say that's it. It's the end of pocket profiles. We've nailed it. It's finished. (laughs) <laughs> Multiple partners. Uh, what is his favourite position? Uh, centre half, uh, no, half
0: forward. It was the position that he played most often. Uh, centre half back. Half back flank. He was halfback. undersized. He did it sometimes play yeah, centre half back, but he was yeah, undersized. Okay. Um, okay. What was his date
1: of birth? Give me a year. And it's in the 50s. Okay. So, we don't give me the date. Just give me the year. Uh, yeah. Okay. 1959.
0: 1956, he was born on the 7th of October. And where was he born? In fact, well, someone very close to you was also born in this suburb of Melbourne.
1: Oh, okay. Someone very close to me was born in this suburb of Melbourne. Is it you? Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is it Brighton? He was born in Brighton, Victoria. So he is... I've always wondered, like, you know... um, I mean, obviously, Trevor Barker is like a a beloved figure. The best and fairest is named after him. But I've always wondered, like, it was our most unsuccessful period and he showed this loyalty and he was this, like, glamorous, high-flying kind of defender. But then when you see that he was born Bayside, it makes sense. Like, he is like a product, in, in the same way that, you know, Ted Whitten was a product of the West, he was a product of, of Bayside, where St. Kilda's Heartland is. So
1: that makes a lot of sense. Okay, how tall was he? Okay, so you said he was undersized. Yeah. Um, so I this, I think this, yeah, it, yeah go on. So well, I think I'm like 190 centimeters or something like that. So I'd say he was probably about my height. I'm going to say so 189, 188, 183, six foot in the old wow. language. Okay. Uh,
0: he was recruited from which junior club? Which is another suburb of Melbourne. And if you go down, if you go down the along the along the bay a bit, um, mm. I think Shane Warne might have been here from as well. From here as well.
1: Mornington Peninsula.
0: Close. Cheltenham,
1: Okay. what year did he first play? Okay, so he was born in uh, 59. He probably debuted as like a younger player, I'm going to say. So I'm going to say 77. Oh, so close, 75. You're right though, oh. De- debuted as a 16-year-old. Um,
0: how many games did he play by 1986?
1: And oh, it's in okay. the hundreds. Um, I'm going to say, uh, uh, so he started in, that's, that's, oof. I mean, he's going to have played 195, 180.
0: I mean, um, I'm starting to look to see if you've got a Ouija board down there. Cause I th- believe someone is communing
1: with the spirit of Trevor Barker. Although, well, you know little, what I love? <laughs> how generous you are in saying that something's <laughs> accurate when I was clearly like, <laughs> probably 10 off out, but
0: Okay. What are his football honours to this stage? Uh, I'll give you a hint. So he gives two different football honours. One is a fairly common response. The other one is a response that uh, you wouldn't hear from players in the last 20 years.
1: Oh, okay. So um, the first one is that um, one of his football football honours is... Okay, so these are football honors. So winning the like, well, whatever the Trevor Barker Medal was called before Trevor Barker, <laughs> it'd be amazing if it was called the Trevor Barker Medal when he won
0: it. Yes, you're correct. He's won two Club Best and fairest awards in '76 and '81. I don't know what they've just probably called the Best and fairest back then. Uh, and then the other one that uh, players would not would not name wouldn't would say not. these days. Yeah, not not for the last I'd say 20 years, probably even earlier, maybe 25 years. Oh, okay. Um, it's now been turned into something of a uh, novelty match every now and then.
1: Oh, so is it a best on field in the All-Australian, oh, sorry, in the State of Origin?
0: State of Origin, yes. He was a state representative from 83 to 86 and captained seven times. Um, this should be easy enough to answer. What's his marital status?
1: Uh, loose. <laughs> <laughs> single. I'm going to say single. Single, absolutely. Single um, brackets and loving it. Close brackets. <laughs> uh, kids. Uh, none
0: that he admits to. <laughs> I think half of half of uh, Brighton is probably populated by blonde haired, uh, blonde haired, blue eyed Trevor Barker acolytes. Um, does he have brothers or sisters? Yes. No. Only child. Okay, Uh, now occupation, which is you can tell this is from the eighties because players actually have to list an occupation. If you remember when we did the Tony Lockett one, he was a bottle top bottle shop attendant. Uh, Barks lists two occupations here. The first is something that I felt like every mate of mine was doing in the while we're at university. They always had this as a part time job: ecstasy Um, dealer. (laughs) <laughs> you're you're close. It's probably actually, yeah. I mean, I would say that most of them were doing both of these things. That they're related.
1: Okay, um, delivery something something about no, delivery.
0: Go, go, you're, you're closer when you're talking about ecstasy dealer. Where do people take ecstasy normally?
1: Oh, uh, so he's a, a nightclub promoter.
0: Nightclub promoter, promotion manager, as they yeah. called it, 1986. I mean, smart. Like if you've got some drink cards to hand out, given to barks, that's where the party will be. Um, his second occupation is a legit one, um, and I remember actually seeing him in this occupation when I was like eight years old, and Trevor Barker was my idol when I was a kid. And I, I, I remember having one of these kind of like almost meltdowns because like, is that Trevor Barker in, in, in real life? Um, this seems to be – this is, should almost be a no-brainer. If Trevor Barker, taking in his looks and his athletic ability and stuff, was not a footballer, not a promotional manager, and you have to pick a career for him now, what would he be? a male model no what are there a zillion of at the moment especially uh, social media very heavily represented on social media
1: uh oh okay so like some sort of wellness expert some sort of real fitness
0: personal fitness. trainer. personal trainer he was a lifestyle and health a manager uh his lifestyle and health and fitness center manager mm-hmm. but you know i so i saw him at the uh, paul sadler swim school he was running the gym it was him in a, in a white polo probably had just come from the office where he'd had sex with someone i imagine <laughs> you've got to understand he was very very popular uh, what school did he attend um all of the answers are, are related to one of the earlier answers uh so cheltenham one, high cheltenham yeah, primary exactly Cheltenham primary cheltenham high what car did Trevor Barker drive back in the day? And oh, I would have insane. thought, look, as a red Corvette, but it, you're wrong. It sort of fits in more with the Brighton kind of details. Oh, okay, <clears> like <throat> a
1: Mercedes or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Le- Mercedes, a bit, Lexus, a bit, a bit BMW. Safer. That even yeah, a bit safer than than that. Oh, a bit safer. Volvo. Mm, close. a bit cooler than a Volvo, but still sort of you know, in the, you're in the right territory. Sub. No, it's a a, a double. It's a double. It's a two-barreled name. Uh, Begins with the same
1: letter. Rolls Royce, Ford, Ford Falcon,
0: (laughs) Range Range Rover, (laughs) Ford Falcon. Uh, What's his favorite pastime and hobbies? All sports. He names four sports. What do you think Uh, Barks is doing in his free time? Um, Tennis. Okay, so I'd say they're all all individual sports apart from one. Yes, tennis is one. Golf? Yes. <laughs> and you've literally, you're naming this in order. So obviously the uh, Ouija oh. board, the marker's moving around the Ouija board. <laughs> it's just. Okay. They're all uh, swimming? Yes. <laughs> Fucking hell. If you get this one, that's a clean sweep. What's the. Oh. So the last one is a team sport he loves playing. Okay. A team sport he loves playing. Yeah. or a hobby. It's um, a favourite pastimes hobby. So you've named tennis, golf, and swimming. Yeah. The last one is a team sport. And think, it's not like modern, um, this is maybe too much of a hint, no. but modern footballers would always name basketball. the sport.
1: Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. okay. It would be basketball. Right. But you're saying it's not that though, right? And that's what I was hesitating. I was going, I don't think yep. it is that. I think, I mean, oh, I can't, cricket, it's cricket, pr- yes. maybe. Yes, yeah, no, I don't, I don't cricket, want you to yeah, get, get it.
0: You've got to think traditional Aussie yeah. guy in the yeah. 80s, cricket. football and winter cricket and summer. So on. Yeah. Um, It'd be amazing, wouldn't it, if like there's a question about who do you want at a dinner party and LeBron James
1: <laughs> manages to... <laughs> I just favourite... saw this baby online the other day <laughs> and I just was compelled by it for some reason. F- favourite comedian, Carl Barron Jr.? <laughs> You know, what my favourite, can I say this, is that yeah. like, Scott Dooley, friend of the podcast, Scott Dooley, um, made a joke online on Twitter the other day about uh, the fact that um, the actor who was playing in Space Jam 2, who was playing LeBron James, was an incredible actor because not only had, you know, they you know, looked like LeBron James, but they'd actually been a professional basketball player for 18 <laughs> years just to get into character. And someone literally responded to it and went, no, that's actually LeBron James. <laughs> <And that> was- <laughs>
0: What is Trevor Barker's favourite meal? This is something that like... This is a very old-fashioned an English meal. It's very traditional. Sunday roast? Close. If I gave you... I'll give you... It's beef something. Um, Beef Wellington. Beef Wellington. Um, Favourite drink? Now, this is a bit of ooh-la-la. I would have thought it was just Bundy and Coke. uh, Bacardi Breezer. But no, this is... uh, this is classy, classy from Barks. And then again, I imagine when Barks pulls up to his home and you know they they go into his bedroom where the waterbed is, you know, the zebra print carpet and stuff. He taps a wall, a bar opens, spins around. Um, he might pour his his date one of these. A martini. No, a bourgeois, a, a, a bourgeois red wine. Uh, okay, yeah, right. Um, favorite singer or group. Very of the era Australian band. Cold Chisel. No. This in is a bit excess. more. No, but you're in the definitely you're in the right era. Um, didn't have an international, didn't break out internationally, but very well regarded here. Their front man passed away in the last 10 years, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, the, the front man who passed away could have also been Kevin Bartlett. Uh, the Ghost? No, that's Jim Jess. <laughs> Kevin yeah. Bartlett. Um, well, I've actually uh, fucked it up, but there is a hint in there. <laughs> what was Kevin Bartlett's nickname?
1: Uh, hungry. So um, someone who's
0: hungry might also be known as...
1: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Greedy? Oh, mental oh, is anything. That was terrible. Oh, you know what? Uh, Part of... No. Uh, Having listened to Alex Williams last week, I've realised that part of the joy of this is hearing your terrible clues. So terrible. it's good that you've put in such a terrible clue. I was like Mark Hunter, or he's like <laughs> Hunters and Collectors. Maybe he's thinking Hunters and Collectors. No, greedy, greedy yeah. Smith. Mental is anything. Yeah,
0: hungry and greedy. Are compl- that do don't, don't mean they're not the same at all. I'm so sorry. Okay. <laughs> Favorite author. Oh, okay. Now, can you? Think back to when we did the Tony Lockett Pocket Profile because I'd say at Morabin in those days it was a fairly similar attitude towards books. So, Barks' favorite author. I don't read books. None. (laughs) He has no favorite authors. Him and Plugger just sitting in the change rooms at Morabin, just
1: not expanding their minds. I mean, we don't know that to be the case. He could just not have a favorite author. He might be reading like a hundred books a week, but he just loves literature so much that it would be like asking you to choose between, you know, like a child that he won't own up to (laughs) having. I was going to say in the same way, he's not going to get married, you know, because he has too much love to share. He might have the same attitude to authors. Uh,
0: Favorite holiday spot. And this is bang on for Trevor Barker. I mean, where would Barks in Australia spend his holidays? Portsy? No, no, no. Gold Coast, specifically
1: Coolangatta, Noosa. <laughs> Somewhere. I'm in which sorry. Way. <laughs> no, Charlie's just you're on the Gold Coast. Where did
0: where do schoolies love to go? Uh, Cavill Avenue, Surfers Paradise.
1: Oh yeah, okay, right. And I also too Port- specific. You're right.
0: And also <laughs> and also Portsy. So you were correct. He's got two favorite spots. I mean, imagine it's 1986. It's summer in Portsy. Portsy bar pub is pumping. How well does Barks do that weekend?
1: Oh, well, the same. Well, he does as well as he does every weekend. <laughs> From what I know about Trevor Barker, I think he was, uh, fair to say, not a flat track bully, was able to adapt to whatever circumstances he was thrown into. I'm
0: not sure if I've ever told this story uh, on the podcast before, but when I was like eight or nine years old, I was having breakfast getting ready to go for, to school. And my sister comes running in and she's like, Charlie, Charlie, Trevor Barker's at the door. He's They're, they're signing up members for St. Kilda. You, you should go say hello. And I leapt up from the table and sprinted to the door only for my sister to yell out April Fool's. And I was devastated. I actually burst into tears. I honestly thought that Trevor Barker had come to my front door. My sister thought it was the greatest prank she'd ever pulled. I mean, it's a pretty good prank. I've got to be honest with you. She was right. Uh what's his favorite TV show? I don't think this counts as a TV show. It's more uh sports coverage. Uh so
1: not Wild World of Sports then?
0: No, um, it's r- relates the to AFL, one of the AFL the Saturday night
1: AFL pre the Saturday night pre-match footage. No. Footy. He's really just
0: named a competition. That's what he w- likes watching on TV. And it relates to one of his earlier responses Wimbledon. in terms of his favorite hobbies. No, World Series Cricket. Okay, yeah, right. Back when it was a new thing. Okay, this is interesting. Interesting. Favorite movie. Of and the it's era? Prob- yeah, so it probably came out a couple of years earlier. It's American. It's a comedy or action comedy. It's an action Starring comedy. one of the biggest stars in the world. He was then. He probably still is now, but he doesn't. He pops up from time to time on streaming movies. He's probably one of the biggest comedy stars of all time. Adam Sandler? This is, no. Carl Barron.
1: <laughs> Carl Barron, yeah. Jim Jeffries. Any Australian comedian apart from you?
0: <laughs> uh, no, like he, he, this dude, he started on Saturday
1: Night Live, became a huge movie star. Okay, so like Chevy Chase or someone like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, Chevy Chase? Mm, it's not Chevy Chase.
0: Probably the biggest star to come out of Saturday Night Live, arguably. Uh, Eddie Murphy. Uh, Beverly Eddie Hills Murphy. Beverly Hills Cop. Correct. Um, this is fantastic. This is a question that would not be asked in a pocket profile these days and you won't have a way of answering it, but he's, what's his favourite night spot, Will? Boutique. <laughs> impression, which I imagine was probably in Cheltenham or, or something like that back in the day. Uh, what kind of impression do you reckon Barks <laughs> made on impression?
1: I think he made a pretty good impression. In fact, I think that any nightclub that Barks walked into was suddenly called Impression. <laughs> Who's the biggest influence on his career?
0: Uh, he names three people. Two of them, S- uh, two of them S- should be guessable. People? One is the St. Kilda person who then became a Hawthorne person. Uh, another person, and the other one is the obvious one that they always name. Um, okay, so Well, there's Dad. two obvious ones. Dad, yep, tick. Um, then there's the St. Kilda Hawthorne person. Okay, St. Kilda Hawthorne, Alan Jeans. Alan Jeans, and then the last one, you won't know his name, but... You can uh, guess his occupation. The his current coach. His, no, his junior coach, oh, his Jack junior Hammond. Coach. Yeah. Who is the hardest opponent he played on? Um, I could give you a clue, but it might give it away. Uh, a Carlton legend, uh, Bruce Dull. High-flying Carlton. Oh, yeah, he was high-flying Bruce Duhl, but not Bruce Duhl. Uh Remember, uh, he was defender, so this this guy would have played an attack, possibly in the midfield. Oh. Has one of the most iconic moments in AFL history. Oh. A catchphrase played- associated with him. That's that's who, uh that's you beauty. Who was the best player he'd ever seen? Um... And uh, this is I think this will probably give it away. If I, I can't tell you the team, because if you think of yeah. the era, there was only one player in that team. Okay. Um I would say that this dude was probably the original, like makes time slow down, uh, Nick Del Santo, Scott Pendlebury, Scott Pendlebury type player. He was not he was lightly built, super skillful. Robbie brave, Flower. Robbie Flower. Would you agree with that? He was kind of the the, the original. Yeah.
1: And if you'd said Melbourne, I definitely would have said Robbie. Yeah. Fowler. so you're absolutely right. Uh,
0: who's his most admired sportsman? Uh, Cricket? Did you ever see Robbie era.
1: Flower play much? Did you ever see him play live, Robbie Flower?
0: I don't, I think when I became aware of Robbie
1: Flower, he was in decline. Yeah. I saw him play a couple of times just by, you know, accident over the years. Um, and he, you can, he was, he was right. so beautiful to watch as a footballer. Like, and it was that, thing that you're saying like you know that he was just one of those guys you know Lockie Whitfield has it a bit I've noticed watching GWS matches where when they get the ball like not the biggest dude not the quickest dude but just has so much time to make good decisions Did
0: you see Hunter Clark's two goals for the Saints on the weekend? He's got a bit of that kind of just time it's 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 interesting because i think those players everyone talks about how time slows down i think what it is is they're all actually got they're very fast players fast reflexes are quite quick but they look slow mm-hmm. so that's why it looks like time's slowing down because he outran um what's her face from the hawks super quick player to kick that second goal but yeah uh, it's so great to watch those kind of players okay who is his most admired sportsman cricketer of the era
1: uh, okay, cricketer of that era would have been—is uh, it Australian or West Indian? Australian and lots of brothers, so uh, you should be able to pick yeah, one of them. So it'd be one of the Chapels. So Greg yep. Chapel. No, uh, it would not be Trevor. Um, no. so it's, to be it's got to <laughs> be torture. Ian
0: Chapel. It's got to be Ian. Um, what is his fu- football? What is his football superstition? And it's definitely not don't have sex before a
1: game. <laughs> Don't have sex during a game? <laughs> well, I can't make any promises. <laughs> um, I've had to make it a superstition. <laughs> Otherwise, it would just be happening all the time. <laughs> this is not necessarily
0: um, a superstition. This is just something that, this is a, an aspect of football that I imagine a lot of players would grumble about. Um, and it has to do with an off-the-field uh, requirement, an off-the-field sort of as as games got more professional, this would happen more and more often. Ice baths, team meetings. Does not like early morning team meetings before a game. Uh,
1: what? Because is... he's at home having an early morning team meeting of his own. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> a group meeting.
0: Uh, what's his biggest disappointment? Oh fuck! And I don't think this was. Yeah, this is this is where it gets depressing now. What's his biggest disappointment? Um, that he pretty hasn't common won, for that he hasn't think friend. about. Well, hasn't played finals. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jesus here. Christ! He'd been 11 years into his career and hadn't played finals once. Yeah. That's a disgrace. Uh, what was what's been his biggest thrill? So take finals out of the equation. What's the biggest <laughs> Clearly, thrill? State of origin. First VFL game. What was his nickname? Box. One is quite common. Yep, and then he had another one, which is. This is obviously predates the uh, uh uh 6 degrees of separation rule. What's the most obvious thing you would call Barks to look at him?
1: Um Ken Kendall, um Blond- blondie. blondie. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Right. Also cuz uh, he had a start- heart of glass. So <laughs> What's his favorite ground to play on? Uh Moorabbin
0: mcg and he's yeah, the final the question is ground. that's what I was is perhaps <laughs> the most sobering uh what is his football ambition to live forever <laughs> <laughs> to be
1: successful oh god I that mean, is a of course he's successful he's a super successful footballer he has like a legacy that they named the best and fairest at st kilda after him i mean you can't think of yeah, it's anybody in the history of the club. He's probably one of your 10 most recognizable names in a hundred years of playing late football. So by any measure, that means that your football career has been successful. We'll let's get to the mailbag. Uh, every week we, put a, quest- we uh, put a request
0: out for people to send us comments and questions relating to the football. Uh, this is from Timothy. Can we get a decision on who won the children's playground fight over the port and pies jumper on on footy classified when it was Ed versus Kane Corns? Did you see that footage?
1: Haven't seen it. Um, I can imagine it. I, I don't think I here's what I'm going to guess. I don't need to have seen it to imagine. I know exactly how it happened. Um yeah. Eddie would have been full of his own opinions and Kane would have been mm-hmm. full of his own contrary opinions and they both would have just had a little squabble and there would have been no resolution at the end
0: of it. I think uh, Eddie won the argument in terms of if you actually, if you just base it purely on on the facts of the case. And Eddie was sticking very much to the letter of the law in terms of we signed a contract that says this, we're not going to suddenly you know, start bending the rules because blah, 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 blah. It was... It's a very grinding five-minute video, if you can find it online. I did not enjoy listening to it, but I
1: felt like I needed to listen to it. Well, uh, here's Ross what I would say in. about the jumpers, because I, like, I think uh, we might have only speculated on... Did we talk about this? We might have only talked about it on our tips rather than on the episode, mm. But because I wasn't here last week. But I was hopeful that Port Adelaide might get so far you know, ahead on points towards the finals that they could intentionally... <sighs> wear the prison bars and just forfeit the four points for the game. I yeah. I was really behind that. I don't think that that's going to happen now, unfortunately. Does the four points also apply in the finals? What if Port Adelaide went out there in the finals and wore it when they made the final Collingwood aren't going to be in the finals. So there's yeah, absolutely no way there can be a clash between them and Collingwood or anyone can mistake. In fact, it's as close <clears throat> Collingwood's only hope of being in the finals this year is if Port Adelaide can wear their jumper in the finals. I'd say that it would probably be a larger financial sanction
0: if they were at the finals because that's what Eddie was boiling the argument down to was that it was like a uh, it's a, they're impinging on their intellectual copyright How? and merchandising and How? because they're printing and selling jumpers that are black and white so? stripes which is Who cares?
1: I'm not fucking Eddie. <laughs> Take it up with him. You've but got his number. This is such a stupid argument by Eddie like I mean with all due respect but it is <laughs> such a stupid argument because There's nobody who's just like, oh, I thought Port Adelaide were Collingwood. They're completely different teams (laughs) in completely different states. Like in the, you know, in the English Premier League, like there are teams like Manchester United and Liverpool and stuff who all wear basically the same fucking colours in games and nobody thinks they're the same team. There's nobody just going... I like this jumper the most, therefore I'm going to swap from Collingwood to Port Adelaide. That is the most ridiculous fucking argument I've ever heard in my entire life. One of the more interesting
0: aspects of what Eddie said was he talks about how Gil McLaughlin being South Australia's favourite son, he felt like they needed insurance because he could see the way that this would go, that Gil to curry favour with his home state would, you know, start bending the rules a bit. And I'm like, Eddie, that sounds paranoid.
1: Yeah. And so now you're just impinging and implying that the (laughs) – like the CEO CEO of the competition is biased towards teams from his own state so like he banks for St Kilda has he done much for the Saints do you feel no, like nah. you guys are getting a good run in the Gil years? not at all
0: uh kiwi wants to know are the bulldogs the new richmondy team no um as i said on the uh, our tips video last week i feel like St Kilda could be the oh no we i said St Kilda but you said Carlton are the new richmondy which i think is probably uh fair uh, Ross wants to know, Melbourne and Collingwood defying their respective tropes so far. Is this the season or a setup for an amazing second act? I still hold out hope that Melbourne could do something calamitous, but I don't see Collingwood getting... I mean, I don't understand. We're so far into like a terrible season, I don't understand where the, the, the wall is now. I don't understand how the dynamics of the wall to the back work in this situation.
1: No, no, they've gone through the wall backwards. And now like you can't have your back to the wall when you're actually backing back away from the wall. They're getting further away from the wall in the opposite direction now. That's the problem at Collingwood. I think what we've learned over the years is it's the teams that can overcome their tropes that triumph, right? Richmond were Richmondy. And then they've just completely come up with a new definition of Richmondy, which is what happened last week. Now, Richmondy is being down at halftime and just being a good enough team to overcome all odds and everybody steps up and they win. That's what Richmondy is now. Like, there is an opportunity here, I think, for Melbourne. Melbourne looked like the dominant narrative. It could go one of two ways. I think this season is perfectly set up for Melbourne now, regardless of the result, right? They've won seven in a row, so either from here there's only two real options isn't there after the start they've had and the hype they've got and the team they've got together either yes it's the old Melbourne emerges and like this potentially great season falls apart terribly okay well that's you know we've seen that before but that that could be Melbourne or this is the season where they put all that to rest and they go through and they come up with a new brand of what it means to be Melbourne
0: yeah, it's like you know when you take your name back, or when you take a word back. It's like we own this. This yeah. is our word now. So Melbourne or disappointing is our word now. Yeah, I mean um, what can JD, say it now. Yeah, <laughs> 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 JD has a relatively uh, serious question. Do you think that it's time the AFL started employing full-time umpires? Would that put a stop to this constant need to justify um- umpires' calls after a contentious decision? I don't think full-time umpires would. Uh, fix uh, a problem which is based on a split-second
1: decision? I think, I would love to just quickly say, and I know it's been a theme of mine in the past, but the umpires in the AFL do a great job. Like, it is an impossible game. There is so many... Interpretations, rules, rules that are applied indiscriminately, plus you have to like run 14 kilometers and be making these decisions, these like split second decisions, you have to be making them at top speed. The best player in the AFL plays well every like two out of three games, right? And they Mm -hmm. their disposal at a high level might be like 75%. Like, we are fine with the fact that the players, even the best players, operate at a level where they're going to make a series of mistakes because of the difficulty of the game. The idea that somehow we're going to have umpires who also aren't going to make a series of mistakes, you get the best and you understand that they're going to fuck shit up. I, have, I don't think full-time would help. The umpires don't seem to think that full-time would help. Um, I, But I think we give the umpires such a fucking hard time in this game. There is so yeah. much scrutiny. And the fact that these replays that, like we we eventually after we watch eight replays, go. Oh well, was- I, went- oh, I <laughs> make the decision. Yeah. It's like yeah, but you weren't like you didn't. Okay, you run fourteen kilometers, and we'll show you it in real time, and then you make a decision and see how often you get it right. Well, you're probably aware. I mean,
0: everyone is aware there is an, uh, a crisis of umpires at junior levels, and the last thing we want to be doing is creating more vitriol towards umpires. In fact, I think we need to go the other way and the AFL need to start putting some money and time into getting the umpires out there. And like, there's this traditional old school attitude that, you know, umpires, they're not the main show. So keep them behind closed doors. No one wants to hear from the umpires. I disagree. I disagree. Like, I love Razor Ray. I love all those kind of highlights of him chatting back to the players and stuff. I think if we got to know the umpires and put as much attention on the umpires and gave them, you know, profiles and personalities like we do with the players and made it like an attractive uh, career choice, not something that you're going to get abused for or unfairly maligned for, for a split second decision, then that would help down the line, right? Well, I think
1: it should be within the parameters of the sport itself. I'm fine with the booing and the cheering and all those sort of things. So from the minute they go out there and they bounce the ball until the end of the game when they blow the whistle, absolutely. That's part of the fun of being at the football, you know, having a decision not go your way, thinking something should have been called, the whole crowd yelling out for a decision that does or doesn't happen. I wouldn't want to take any of that away from the game. But I think we have to have an agreement as supporters of this game that if we want to see it played at the highest level, the best way to see it played at the highest level is to have the best umpires. The best way for us to have the best umpires is not to constantly criticize, bemoan, like not celebrate, make them feel terrible about what they've done. The best way for us to have the best umpires is to celebrate them at the level we celebrate the best players. Because if you're a young fit person who's got good decision making and you see on tv that the umpires are being celebrated as as important to the game as the players because all we're doing is hurting ourselves Mm. in the long run if we make umpiring a thing that people don't want to go into if we want to see the game played well we need to get the best umpires and the only way we do that is to celebrate the umpires that we have and put them in a good position we should have a fucking rule that you between when the game finishes and the next game starts, we're all back to fucking celebrating in them again. That we constantly talk about how important a part of the game they are.
0: I think the issue is there's too many ex-footballers in commentary and media yeah. positions and they all propagate this anti-umpire narrative, which is so old school with this idea that, you know, they weren't tough enough to become footballers or they're kind of, you know, little pip squeaks who just love the power. I mean, that's just such a bullshit tired old narrative and i think that you know if honestly if there was a making their mark type documentary about umpires and you saw like the you know, level of dedication and the fitness and stuff and just give them a bit of a profile and humanize them then that might you know address some of this kind of like toxicity
1: i absolutely agree with you they're the most important the game does not exist without them they're the one you can replace the players but you can't fucking replace the umpires we are shooting ourselves in the foot every time, A that we expect them to be fucking perfect. We should celebrate the fact, okay, they got something wrong and they've said that they got it wrong. Fuck, imagine if on a Monday morning each club put out a video of all the bad decisions that their players had made on the weekend. Yeah, like, fucking Adelaide
0: that. didn't have uh, bloody uh, 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 Tom, uh, Tom Lynch ready to go as a medical sub and they fucking lied
1: about it and everyone's like, oh, okay, that's funny. Yeah. No, and we nailed it. Got it exactly how we wanted to nail it. Like, imagine if your club on a Monday morning just sat down at a press conference and went, "Here's the three clangers that fucking <laughs> you know, old mate made on the weekend. We're just releasing them out there." No thanks.
0: Uh, Claire wants to know: Last Thursday in Footy Classified, Kane Twerp Corn said he sometimes, with hindsight, has realised he's gone ten to twenty percent too hard in some of his commentary. What is your thoughts on that value? I'd say it's 100%. I think his default reaction is contrary. And to be contrary, you have to be 100% in the opposite direction. So I don't know. I think Kane's been a little bloody light on himself there.
1: Well, I think Kane is absolutely lying. He's like a guy who's been told that he has to say something like that. And so he's gone, what, 10%, 20%? It's 100, mate. Minimum 100.
0: John wants to know, how often do your do your teams win in the same round? The pod is better when you're both up. Well, I think we'll has been pretty up. Will's banked enough wins that you can be up for a few more weeks even if the dogs don't have another win, right? How many wins, how many losses in a row from now on would ruin your mood on the pot? I reckon we get another two weeks of like goodwill from you. Goodwill, no pun intended. But then if it's three losses in a row, you start getting a bit moody.
1: Uh, if we were going to miss the finals from here, if it got to a point where we're going to miss the finals, but at the moment, and this might be the sort of thing that you would hate to say because it occurs to you, I just think that we're we're going at a trajectory that probably means that we're going to make the finals. And so then it just becomes about getting to the finals and seeing if we're in the right place. That was why I guess that's even with the Richmond loss. This is how you know you're in that position as a supporter. You almost welcome the loss. Like There was a part of me that was like, this is a good loss for us to have. I think that we needed to know that there are still flaws with what we're doing and now we've got the time for the rest of the season to adjust things, try to work out a game plan that uh, will work for the finals. So yeah, there's definitely a not complete confidence but a confidence that they will probably win enough games to get to the finals and then well, it's what you can do from then on.
0: Sandy uh, says, John Longmire is pretty tall. If you went on holiday to a Scandinavian destination, could he possibly be the biggest horse in all of Norway? And if you're confused about what that reference is, you should go to tofop.com to check out some of our other great podcasts, including Tofop, which is kind of like this with slightly less football chat. But Will also does another one called Glossophy, where he has famous, interesting people on. Who's on this week, Will? Amy Shark uh,
1: is the Australian musician. Amy both Shark. famous and interesting. Yes, both of those things
0: uh we also uh I, ha- I have an episode of faux fop with uh two guys one no sorry i have an episode of faux fop with junk times michael chamberlain uh so faux, faux is kind of like uh Tofaux just without will which is kind of like this show uh but with 10% less football is that confusing enough just go to tofop.com and check out our other podcasts is what i'm trying to say they're mostly all the same show is what we're saying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, we don't often promote it much, but we have a Patreon page, uh, which is tofop, uh, which is patreon.com slash Tofop, which is um, all the money that goes into that goes into our various shows on our network. We don't have an exclusive one for Two Guys, One Cuff. I've been sort of weighing up whether or not we should start one, but... What might be easier if you guys want to support the show financially, um, if you go to uh, patreon.com slash that's the best way to ensure that we can keep making this show because we're doing more episodes of more shows than ever before. We've got costs that are rising and we'd love to keep doing it, but for that we need some financial support. So if you're not already a Patreon subscriber through Tofop or Philosophy, and you listen to this show and you want to help out, that's the best way to do it, patreon.com slash Tofop. Will, Annie wants to know... Do you reckon there are any insights from Making Their Mark that are playing out in front of us this year and showing us to be true? That's a great question, Making Their Mark. I love that documentary. I would say it's actually gone the opposite direction. I think GWS is showing a lot more character than I gave them credit for. I think they came out of that series incredibly badly. Just everything about them seemed like Leon Cameron seemed old-fashioned. Cornelio seemed to be in over his head. But I'm loving what the Giants are putting together now, and seeing all these kind of new players who are coming along. Um, so that's probably worked against it. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Is there anything that's uh, that's playing out that that can, was confirmed for you in making their mark?
1: I haven't watched enough of it to know, but I know that uh, Leon Cameron at the Giants they've uh, instituted a swear jar, and they're going to use all that money for their end of season trip. And I really think that's got the players on board. Emma wants
0: to know. I think it's time for an NBL show. Uh, spinoff uh, speaking to players from the 80s and 90s you can talk about their haircuts not much for Phil Smythe and socks are also relevant thanks in advance uh, look everything you've just named about the NBL in the 80s and 90s is about the extent of my knowledge so we'd have one episode in this at the most
1: yeah I mean we'd have a really good chat about Leonard Copeland and Andrew Gaze but that'd be about
0: it uh, Wayne wants to know, can or well, wants to say, can this is more of a this is less of a question, more of a statement. Will I take this uh, as a comment? C- uh, can everyone in the media please stop talking about Collingwood? You'd think they were a global pandemic. Mate, are you unfamiliar with what sells newspapers? Uh, JMO, oh no, that's JMO's answering someone else's. Do else, you yeah, think Charlie. that there is any chance that Nathan Buckley doesn't coach out the whole season?
1: Do you think there's any chance? I think isn't that more likely than not, right? I can't say, I don't know. Like, unless he retired, unless he actually said, I'm moving on. I just think he's such a club legend that you at least let him coach out the season. What's to be gained by bringing in a new coach? I think it's more, uh, look,
0: from what I understand, the fans aren't happy. Um, I think Ryan Fitzgerald highlighted a comment that someone had written, like, uh, on the Facebook page for, you know, Collingwood. With. He was named Nathan Fuckley, <laughs> which... Uh, If that's an indication of where the fans are at, that's the only reason I could imagine that you needed to appease them. Uh, I don't think there's any benefit in getting rid of him. I would stick with Bucks. I think he's a good coach. I think that you know they had some salary cap issues. But stick with Nathan Fuckley. That's all I'm saying.
1: I mean, I'd like to think that in his Trevor Barker days, the early days at the nightclubs that Nathan Buckley went by Nathan (laughs) Fuckley, if you play your cards right, is my top five reasons you should come home with me tonight. I'm Nathan Fuckley.
0: Uh, if they lose to North Melbourne this weekend, do you think he stays? Yes. Really? Yes. I think he would go. I think if he loses, he would voluntarily leave because they will burn down Victoria Park if they lose to North Melbourne this weekend. Uh, final question, Will, is from Thomas. Uh, it says, this is one that you can answer. It's a Bulldogs-related question. If Will Minson and Stephen Martin played trivial pursuit against one another,
1: who would win? Oh, that's a Good question. Is Stephen
0: Martin considered an intellect like yeah, Will Minson definitely. was? Yeah, he okay. is.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, what I would like to say is like, why can't we make this happen? Why can't that be a bit of regular <laughs> content on the Bulldogs website? Just like be once great. a week, they sit down, Will Minson and Stefan Martin head to head in Trivial pursuit. Yeah,
0: I just love to see Will Minson just puts on like a jazz record as they sit down. Just a black background. They play
1: a bit of chess. Yeah, I absolutely, I love that—a series of mind games, a battle of wits yeah. during <laughs> yeah. the season, like Magneto and <laughs> Professor X. <Right. laughs>
0: all right that's the episode for this week two guys one cup don't forget our thursday afternoon tips go live on instagram around 5 p.m i will post something in the morning to give you more accurate time um, but that's thursday afternoons you can find us on instagram at two guys one cup afl we're also on twitter at two guys one cup afl go to tofop.com to check out our other great podcast and yes like we we're saying before if you want to support us and we do need this support go to patreon.com slash tofop the money will get to do guys one cup i promise but for Now, play on, not fifteen. Ball.
1: We are two guys, one car.